Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Uh, Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Heath. If this is your second Sunday here, I'm the lead pastor of Reach Community Church. I was going last weekend. uh, Actually got to preach at my home church. Um, they got all the goody out of me. They have a Thursday night service and three Sunday morning services, and I did a wedding. So last weekend was a jam-packed weekend, but I'm grateful to be back, not just because we only have one service and only have to preach once today, but because I love you guys, and this is uh, the church that God's called us to. So uh, thank you for uh, being here this morning. I heard Alan did a great job, several people, and I didn't pay him anything to say this. Good job, Alan. Uh, several people today. I mean, man, kudos, uh, love Alan Ortega. Um, so this morning I'm going to talk about, um, potentially it's really good news. And then there's some kind of scary news in the middle of it. Um, and then I'm going to end it with some great news. Um, but we're going to be in Hebrews 10. Uh, if you're reading the one-year Bible, you read this um, on Friday. Um, if you don't know what the one-year Bible is, no big deal. Um, we'll talk about it going in, and you can start fresh in January and read the one-year Bible with us. And if you're like, no, then you can, you're still okay. We still love you. Um, but we're going to talk about this idea of what it means to be assured that you belong. See, it feels good to be welcome and belong. And if you're new here, you know what it means to walk in and not know anybody and not know, like, does this where is this where I sit? Is this where I go to? Are people going to like me? Did, am I, will I and can I belong here? And there's a lot of tensions that come with that. And part of the reason why we don't really think about this a whole lot is because we usually don't venture into things that make us uncomfortable. We usually don't venture into areas that we're not sure that we're going to belong or to fit in. Um, but at one point, all things were new. Uh, if you remember going to high school, I remember uh, my first day at high school. I was terrified. Um, I spent the first two years uh, hiding from the courtyard because I wasn't cool enough to go out there. Um, really for probably the three and a half years anyway, just weird. Um, you know, first day of work, first day of all these things of walking in, is this my place? And so what I want to talk about today is this idea that's much more significant than whether you belong here in this building or wherever you're going to go tomorrow or venture into. It's the idea of understanding how we know that we're welcome into a relationship with the Father. And so how we get the confidence to trust the invitation and to enter into the invitation and to live with the assurance that He is home for us changes everything. That that confidence sets us in a position that we can live life in spite of what happens to us. And there is a crazy, uh, the second part of it, there's this crazy, they literally say that they were joyful to have their possessions taken from them because they had a greater possession in Christ. So I'm going to pray before we get into the word and then I got a lot to cover and I'm going to do everything in my power to um, not keep you here forever. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, it is by your grace and mercy that we have the capacity to hear truth. And so with that, Lord, I pray that truth would be heard by us today. Lord, I declare that Romans 8, 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and for those, his children in this room, that there would not be condemnation, that we would rest in the assurance that we are children of you. And you welcome us not because of what we've done or how we've behaved. You welcome us because of our trust in your son. And so, Lord, I I pray today that we would be moved, that we would uh, seek you more than anything else, that you would be of our highest value. And so, Lord, where our life doesn't line up for that, Lord, I pray that conviction would move us to action. But you would save us from this idea of being condemned by it. That we have hope in your 
grace and your mercy. So speak in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start in Hebrews 10. And so let me give you a little idea. The author of Hebrews is unknown. There's speculation that it could have been Paul, could have been someone else. And it was largely written to a Hebrew population. And mostly, really, if you want to, and it goes well with our Jesus is greater theme that we've been here all year, is the book of Hebrews is really the idea that Jesus is greater. He, he, he spent leading up to this chapter. This is all he's done is he's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all of these things. And when we put our trust in his sacrifice, even the beginning part of 10 talks about this idea that the sacrificial system that they were living under could never eliminate sin, period. It was something they had to do over and over again and then. Jesus came on the scene and and how we have our blessed confidence and or full assurance of faith is through and in him. And so we're going to start in verse 19 in the first um, six verses are great. They're 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 the whoo. And then verse 26 gets a little dicey. I'm going to explain it to the best of my ability. Um, and then 27, 28. And then the end is is kind of an encouragement for it all. So let's. Let's jump right in. Verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, our confidence to enter in and belong is through one source, Jesus. Us fully trusting in his sacrifice for us is what gives us the ability to enter in. It's what our assurance lies in. And I, I want to say this, and I say this a lot. Um, many of us have been lied to. We've heard it in the church, and I, I probably, over the 20 years of ministry, have had sermons that sounded a whole lot like, get better, do better, don't do this, don't do that, and everything's great. And I'm not saying that we should do all the wrong things, and God's grace is big enough to cover a multitude of sin. What I'm saying is none of those other things get us to the place of this. We don't enter into the holiness, the presence of God by our gifts, talents, abilities, what we throw in our little lovely toolbox back there. The service, you know, for those that came in here this morning and had their um, their shirts on to serve in our kids ministry there. There is no work that you do that gives you confidence to stand in his presence. But a lot of times we, we, we think that and we hear that and we think, man, I'm not doing enough, so I need to do more because that's how I enter in. And I'm here to tell you all through this text that there's nothing that you do. There's no action that grants you access to this other than believing and trusting in the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, it says, by the new and living way. That he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. There was a separation in the temple of God into the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus died on the cross, uh, the the curtain ripped. What separated us from what was the presence of God, it was removed. And it's not removed because of your obedience. It's not removed by your good actions. It's moved by the flesh of Jesus. We don't get to open the door. He opens it for us. Verse 21, it says, And since we have a great priest, our priest forever, over the house of God, he gives us this idea of going into the next verse, 22. He is the reason why we can draw near. Verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have access to draw near because of what he did for us. And they did this. If you read through all the Old Testament, how they purified and how they made things holy is they would sprinkle the blood on the instruments and everything. And I, I think to myself sometimes, um, like, because they, they slaughtered a lot of animals. A lot. Um, when they celebrated, man, there was animal after animal. And I just imagine, I don't know about any of you other clean freaks out there, 
like blood everywhere. Have you ever tried to clean up blood? I mean, but it was sprinkled on everything because that's how they made it pure. And what he's saying here, it's through the sacrifice of Jesus that he's sprinkled our conscience and we've been baptized into him. See, drawing near is not moving from one place or another. It is directing of our heart into the presence of God. Listen to these. Also in Hebrew, Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercessions for us. We get access to him, to the Father, by the Son. And then Hebrews eleven six it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who draws near to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. We are not doing this. I am not doing this for you guys. I'm not doing this. I didn't move to this city to be like, I want to plant a church. Now, probably early on, I thought, this is going to be great. God's called me to the city. We're going to blow up. God is going to be good. And I think, honestly, the first four or five years of Reach was more about God going, ha, buddy. You need me. We need him. But he wants us to draw near. He wants us to get our reward from him alone. Not necessarily from the number of whatever or what we get from him, but just for him. Verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews 3.13, it says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look, I'm telling you, the most dangerous place that you can be is by yourself. The most dangerous voice that you can listen to solely is your own and we know that. I mean, we, we know that we've given ourselves bad advice. We know if we're old enough to have lived more than a day or two, we realize that we make bad decisions. And some of those bad decisions cost us dearly. And we need other people to spur us along. We need other brothers and sisters in Christ to look us in the face with love and say, God's called you to more. God wants this not in your life. And I say that, I'm going to keep saying it until everybody's off Facebook and we don't even have to put the thing up there that says, join us on Facebook. I know, we say don't, I say don't have it and then we have a thing up there that says, find us on Facebook. We are there and some of you, you know, find it useful to be there. But sometimes we think, man, I am doing that, brother. I am, I'm, I'm extorting, I'm extorting, I'm encouraging, I'm, I'm beating people down all the time. See, it's building up for love and good works. See, we, we don't want to get into this place that we cycle out of that. And, and some of the most dangerous positions that we can get into is that when we're not doing well, typically what happens, this may not be everybody, but typically when we're not doing well, we don't press in and say, I need help. We don't press in and say, man, my life is not good and I'm not happy and I'm, things are not going well. Usually when we start feeling bad, we start pulling away. And then we get into this cycle of believing that this, yes, yeah, we can't get out of the cycle because we don't have other people in there. Verse 25, it says, not neglecting meeting together as it is the habit of some, but, habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more. As you see the day drawing near. For some of us, the day is drawing near every day. Because he's not just talking about the return, which he is, but he's also talking about our day of choice, our opportunity to live in this faithful assurance of who Christ is 
is drawing near. So we need to encourage and push each other. See, community matters. (laughs) Your community will determine what you draw into. If you're surrounding yourself by people that hate, you're going to be drawn into hate. If you surround yourself by people that are in love, and we talked about a couple weeks ago what love is. Love isn't just acceptance of everything. Love is choosing to love people where they are, but calling them out in love. But we're going to be driven and head into whatever direction that our closest friends are. We should look around to the people that we're surrounding ourselves with and go, are they taking me further into the kingdom or are they pulling me away? Okay. 26. I pre-warned you that this is coming, and I'm going to do my best um, to give you my opinion of this. And it follows uh, lots of people's opinions, but, you know, you may not wholeheartedly agree with me, and that's all right. Verse 26, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Prayed beforehand and yesterday and the day before. When I prayed against condemnation, this is what I'm talking about. Because there, there's people in here that, let's, let's just acknowledge. Okay, let's get this out in the open. No one in here is perfectly obeying Christ without sin in their life. No one. Okay, so you're like, if you read this this week and you just kind of skim by it, I really encourage when you read things like this, don't let, don't let it sit in there because the enemy can go and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know that little sin yesterday? You know that thing you won't get rid of? That, that deliberate peace that you're just not acknowledged, you're continuing deliberately. See, verse 26, that they may go on sinning willfully, both the tense and the verb, present, continuous, action in Greek, they go on sinning, and the word willfully shows us that it's not any particular, particular sin in view here. It is the extent and willfulness in its view. The unpardonable sin is not a particular kind of sin, but a particular extent and willfulness of sinning against great grace. What I, I don't believe this, and this is the disagreement potentially, uh, I, I believe that those who are called into God's grace, and this is a fun thing, um, that God will complete what he finished, what he, the good work that he began in you, who will bring to completion. Now, the danger is um, when we talk about, oh, can people lose their salvation? Um, I would more argue, were they saved? That's, that's just my argument. Um, What I think that he's talking about here is this acknowledgement of going, hey, because all he's led up to is what they did before. The sacrificial system didn't work. So if you if you say, "Uh, you know, Jesus isn't it, there's no other way. The sacrificial system that they've talked about didn't work. Jesus, the one who did the work and said, hey, trust and believe in this. We have to be left in there. To receive the knowledge, and this is uh, of the truth, does not necessarily mean that they were saved. It could be. I, I, I openly acknowledge that I could be wrong on lots of things up here. Um, but I'll, I'll hang my hat on this one. It does not necessarily mean that they were saved. It means they received the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus was and what he did, uh, as well as the truths. Of that, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Hebrews ten four, and that God does not take pleasure in whole burnt offerings or sacrifices for sin. Hebrews ten six, the writer wants them to trust only in the sacrifice for sin, which Jesus is the sacrifice on the cross, and not return to the old system. If you remember the parable of the sower, the sower came out and he was throwing seed. And really, three of the four, there was only one that was fruitful. 
And, and what scares me of um, the reality of living in the South is there's a lot of people that I think are on lots of places that isn't really good soil. And they hear it. And they're like, yes, I want that. And maybe it's the hard soil where the birds came and take it away. Maybe it's the soil with the, uh, the thorns and they grow up in there and the, the life and pressure of the world chokes them out. But if you're going to talk about the open welcome and full assurance of faith in Jesus, you must talk about what you're being saved from verse 27 it says but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries see the end of the verse called them adversaries the fury of god's fire will consume the adversaries this means that he is talking about people who have rejected god and are now his opponents see this is the reality, I, I think sometimes if we, we don't like talking about these things, we don't talk about the reality that those that don't choose Jesus are choosing for themselves this. And I think if we took serious the reality that it's not just the grace of God that we love to enjoy, but there is another side of that, that we would be motivated to not only worry about our full assurance of faith of sitting and resting in God, but we would be prayerfully seeking God, that we would be having conversations with people. Verse 28 says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is out of Numbers 35.30. It says, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses, but no one will be put to death on the testimony of one witness. So he's saying, hey, if you break the law and, and three people see it, like you're going to pay the penalty. Verse 29, it says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. When we reject the grace that God gives us, this is what we do. When we choose to keep our life in the wrong place, we're trampling the grace of God. When we allow sin to just live in us without any fight, any pushback, We miss out on the grace that he offers. They have trampled underfoot the Son of God. The Son of God laid his life down for them, received as their substitute. And instead of receiving him for their life and hope, they paused, got some religion, and then stepped on him and went on to other things. The danger of not living in that full assurance of who we are in Christ is when things, opposition, come our way, we choose to willfully go other directions. Listen to this in Hebrews 3.14. It says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I love in and through when it relates to what God has done for us, what he offers us. Hebrews 10, 14, it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I know it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> when we live in this world and are challenged by everything that we come in contact with, every time we turn on the TV, every time we turn on the radio, um, for those that have any mind to the political uh, back and forth and the absolute hatred that these two parties show each other and how divided we are as a country. <laughs> but 
But he is perfecting us when we allow it. We can take the long road or we can take the short road. And I, I believe that if you're his child, whatever road he's going to use, he will use to get you to where he desires you to be. This does not, please hear me, mean that we can just sit back and he'll just carry us along and we don't have to do anything. What this means is we're putting our trust in what he has done for us. Verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But it is not a fearful thing when we put our trust in Jesus. See, that, that's the beauty of having the first five or six verses that we went through. If you just read 26 through 31, you're like, oh my goodness. But when you remember verses 19 through 25, you're reminded that our security and our strength in entering in and drawing near has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with him. And as we trust, have faith in him, that he will reward, that he will bring, that he is taking us to a better place. And then 32 to the end, he, um, he reminds them of things that have happened. Verse 32 says, But recall your formal days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has such a great reward. Until we learn the treasure that Christ is to us, we will sell him for other things, lesser things. For some of us, it's possessions and we're driven to have more. And uh, we ride by that sign that used to say $2 billion. And we think, oh, what could I have done with that $2 billion? And we think about how great our life would be and... Um, for those, if we'd be real honest, for those that have lots of money and those that have little money in this room, the reality is, is life's maybe a little bit more comfortable in a sense that we have, th- we can, you know, we're not worried about what we're going to eat, but money will never solve our problem. It'll never fix what's going on in our heart. But we will chase after so many things. We'll, we'll open ourselves up to be like, this'll, this'll fix. Uh, our small group um, this week, uh, we've been, I have a, a group that meets on Wednesday night. We've been going through doctrine. And this last um, um, week, we went through the doctrine of sin. Yeah. And the great reality is, is uh, most of the time, our understanding of sin is, um, is small. And our understanding of like, you know, what is sin and what's hurting us and what's not hurting us is, is probably not on the same page as it should be. Um, God, who is holy and pure, is calling us to be his people. And uh, he all throughout the book is saying, hey, these things aren't good for you. This way of living is where you're going to find the most happiness and joy, which seems contrary. How can a person joyfully accept the plundering of his possessions. I mean, just think about that for a second. To get in a place that the first five verses that we covered, their full assurance of the faith of who God is and what he's doing through the Son of God, that sacrifice for them once and for all, that they can enter into the presence of God, that they'll willfully, joyfully, Surrender their possessions because they know that those aren't 
what identify them as. I mean, can you imagine sitting out of your, outside of your house and watching everything being taken away and, and know that this isn't the end. This isn't it. This isn't what I'm going for. I think so often we're, we're, we're lied to over and over again that it is. And I, I, I mean, y'all know my issue with Amazon. I mean, I, I love to purchase a thing or two. I love when little boxes come to my house. And there, there's parts of me that I constantly have to go, you know, why am, I, why am I excited about And I'm not talking about great big things. Like, don't be like, oh, man, he's, I'm talking about little things. Sometimes when I order stuff for the church, <laughs> we get bags. Like, so we just got some new bags that if you're a first-time guest, those bags I order, I get to open up the box. It's even there. And it's how, and I'm so convicted at times how joyful my heart will be for a thing that is so temporary. See, sin has a way of convincing us that that momentary pleasure, that momentary little dopamine hit is worth what comes after it. You know what's crazy? Is that if we had a real conversation isolated, you and I had a conversation about this, no one in this room would say, this sin is worth it. Like if we were just to sit down and have a conversation, is it worth the cost to your family? Is it worth the cost to your integrity? Is it worth the cost to whatever? You, you would look me in the face and say, absolutely not. Every one of us. But then we would, we would literally, and this is what sin does to us. This is why we need Christ in our life. This is why we need to draw near. Because we will, we will know and acknowledge that this is killing me, that this is not good for me, and we will willfully do it again and again. When Proverbs says that we're like a dog returning to his vomit, that's what it's talking about. I got a dog, and he vomits at times, and I mean, I just picture it, it makes me want to gag. And that's funny, but that's us. That's us. We will literally hear, we will trample on the grace of God, willfully allow sin to just rest in our life, knowing that it's robbing. Sin always is destroying relationships in your life. Always. And see, understanding the grace of God and understanding what the sacrifice of Jesus does, it allows us to step into an area that we couldn't get in before. And it allows us into um, a relationship with God the Father that will radically transform our hardened hearts. And this is what I, I want to land on this morning is that there's a greater reality that some of us, and, and this is what I think 26 through 30 Two is really talking about. And I, I feel that most, if not all of my ministry, but part of my ministry is, is directed to those that, that have played church but missed Jesus. I did this the first 18 years of my life. I mean, I grew up in the South. I went to church, Sunday school, youth group, and I could have intellectually told you. I had the knowledge of who Jesus was. And if we had a conversation, be like, yep, going to heaven. Yep, done this. Yep, God loves me. Yes, I'm trusting in Jesus. But there was no part of my life that was given over to that reality. It was information that I had that I would regurgitate. There was no life in it at all. And in July of 94, I was a, just graduated high school. And for the first time ever, I heard the gospel. And, and I don't mean that I, I never heard it before. I mean, for the first time ever, I finally heard it. And I, I was so broken and hurt and needing something. It was a perfect moment where I was finally ready to say, Jesus, I'm tired of doing this all by myself. I'm tired of like just pretending to be one of your kids. I want to be one of your kids. I couldn't have said, hey, I get to enter into the presence of God because of anything else. Because I felt guilt and shame all day long because I thought it was my good behaviors. I thought it was me getting wet 
I got sprinkled when I was 16 because I thought, hey, I'm going to be driving. Hey, I might die and I need to get my ticket to heaven. I didn't say that verbally, but that was going on internally. Internally, And I would say some of us, potentially, even this room, are doing the same thing. So, like, what is the minimum that I can do that I can get in? Because I want eternity in a good place and not a bad place. And the reality is God's like, I want you. I want you now because the now you can be transformed and the now you can transform others. Because the suffering that we're in right now can be resolved. I don't mean that you can be removed from it necessarily. I mean that it can be resolved where you can be in the same boat of saying, I joyfully and willingly sacrifice everything else for you. When we decide to stop playing and rest fully in that assurance, we stop striving. We stop looking at our spouses to be what God has not intended them to be. My wife's role is not to make me happy. I wish it was. um, Because then I could tell her that's her job. And then I could demand things that she's not required to do. My happiness lies in my trust in Jesus alone. And I get the beauty of having someone that also is in that same camp that needs Jesus. I I am not... A good Jesus. I'm not a good savior. Pretty good husband, I think. I think. But when we trust fully in that sacrifice of Jesus, we stop looking to things to do what only Jesus can do, and we start living in the reality that I want to be yours. Verse 36. It says, For you... Have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. That's what he's saying here. Do the will of God, step into that, and, and he'll, he'll deliver his promises. I'm just going to tell you this. If you haven't read this before, God, God is a good promise keeper. He will. He may not do it in the time that you want. He may not do it in the way that you want, but he is a promise keeper. Verse 37, it's for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. Verse 39 says, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith is the only thing that carries us to the end. I would love for all of us to enter in to this place. Because in this place, he gets to work with what we're not allowing him to work on. Because outside of that place, we're trying to go, how do I get in there? What do I need to do? And we look to other things to fulfill what only he can do. So here's a couple questions for us. Are you living with that full assurance? What are you trusting in? And let me let me just kind of burst a little bubble. I'm not always there. I would love to say every morning I wake up and I'm like full assurance. I'm not talking about who I am, but just like I, I want my old self that loves give me a task and give me a job and I will do the job and then I want you to appreciate the job that I've done and I want a relationship with God like that. That I can go, okay, read five out of seven, pray five out of seven, do work, serve at the church, you're in. That's what I want. I want rules. And, and the, the, the non-assurance side of me wants to always do the work that's going to get 
me in the door. And God has to constantly remind me that it is not your work. Actually, your work will keep you out of the door. If you remember um, the prodigal son, he comes home, the father celebrates his return. He throws a party. And the older brother, the righteous brother that has always done the right thing, didn't enter into the father's joy because he was mad that the father gave grace to the younger brother when he had done all the things that he thought he should have done. And he missed on entering into the joy of the Father because of his own personal righteousness. And I just ask today that if your full assurance of faith has anything to do with you, you're in trouble. Because you know what you will do if you think you're doing all the right things? You will, you will bend God's arm back and demand that he does what you want now. But when you trust in the full assurance of who God is, you, you trust that he... And I love that it has this odd line that they joyfully accept the blundering of their possessions. It wasn't like, hey man, if you enter into the full assurance that everything's going to be right, everything's going to be good, and there's no suffering anymore, everything's... All the cures are going to come, all these things are going to come. No, in the middle of all the stuff that's going on in our life, we can have full assurance that we are His because He is the promise keeper. So two more questions for you. What are you doing, and this sounds like a work, but it's what He calls, what are you doing to draw near? What does that look like? To to draw into His presence. I will say this, and we've said this a lot this year. Um, if you're a child of God, your primary way of knowing God is His Word. And if you're not in His Word, you're going to be reliant on me giving you everything that you need, which I will never do. You will never get enough of what you need from God in one hour on Sunday morning. Drawing in means having this relationship with God where He can confront you with His Word, where He can confront you and, and build you up. It means having a prayer relationship with Him that you can bring to Him over and over again, knowing that He hears you, knowing that He's interceding for you right now, that you talk and have a relationship with God. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up as I give you our last one. I think you should have a plan of drawing near. And I think that plan needs to be kind of fluid because there's no rigid plan that's going to work for everyone. And I, I know I said one-year Bible, but one-year Bible may not work for you. But you need to have a plan to be in the Word. You need to have a plan to let the Word speak to you. You need to have a plan of what you're going to do with your life. But here's the last one. Who do you have in your life that will stir up faith, love, and good works? If you're isolated, you're in the most dangerous place that you can be. And I know, I know it's messy. I know stepping into a relationship with other people. I know going to a community group. I know having, um, you know, the, the risk of getting to know one, someone new on Sunday morning and beginning that road of getting to know them is risky, but it's more risky for you to not have relationships with people that love Jesus like you do. So who is it? Who do you have? And if you don't have, um, the biggest thing that I would say is start praying for that person. Start praying. Say, God, I, I need. I need people. Open the door. Let me, let me find the relationship. That may be getting bold enough at the end of service to say, I need prayer for that. Uh, we have a nice little banner back there. And as we close today, there will be people in the back that would love to pray for you today. You don't have to do this alone. But it will be risky to say that you need help. 
it will be risky to say this is what's going on in my life. And I, I will say, um, and this isn't like prophetic in the sense that I know or someone told me. Um, there's people in this room that sin is literally killing you. There's people in this room that are making a constant choice over and over again to stay in an area that you know isn't good for you. And I just challenge you to not be willing to stay there and be bold enough. Because look, I'm telling you, when you bring something to the light, the devil doesn't have access to beat you up about it. And I will say that there's so many people in this room that are in all stages of stepping out of sin and and choosing to trust Jesus in things. No one in here is going to look at you and be like, oh, my goodness. I think, honestly, if a little playlist of all of our greatest top ten sins just popped up above our head, uh, for one, it would be terrifying. <laughs> but I think there would be a lot of people who are like, you too. Okay, I'm not alone. Because I think, I think, honestly, we put on our best face and, and we, we, we look great on Sunday morning. And some of us are walking into this room going, I could never be like them. But if you really knew the reality, there are some people in here that are killing it in a good way. And those people um, would be so beneficial for you to connect with. But it takes a risk to say, I I need. And I I just encourage you, as I close, as I pray um, and acknowledge that there's some people in this room that may just need to say, God, I've never really trusted you. I didn't for 18 years. And I don't care if you've been in church for 40 or 50 years. Today may be the day that you say, I'm tired of playing church and Christianity. I, I want Jesus. Because the full assurance only comes through him. And if you don't have him, you don't have full assurance. And the beauty of this is, is that there's nothing that separates you from that. He has solved it. All you have to do is step in and acknowledge and receive. And he, he does the work for us. He, he begins the journey that continues on. And for the rest of us, I think there's also people in this room that are just ruled by depression. They're ruled by anxiety. I think if if we knew everybody in this room that also struggled like that, there would be peace. I'd love to say that anxiety never never rules me. Um, I've said this a lot here recently. I've uh, been seeing a counselor this whole year. Uh, I think it's the best thing that I've done in years. Uh, mostly because I pour out for a lot of people and I'm the, <laughs> the fixer, or the problem solver. And a lot of times I don't have that voice to like just say, hey, this is what's going on with me. And um, to literally say, this is, this is what's going on. And I say that not to like, oh, man. <laughs> That pastor has problems. I just want you to know that every pastor that pastors a church has problems. <laughs> They're just, you know, levels. Um, levels of problem. I say that hopefully to give you a freedom to say, hey, you don't have to struggle there alone. Like we, we want to create a place here at Reach that you can be like, hey, life isn't going well and I, I'm not happy. And I want to be honest about it. Because that honesty is the first beginning that you need to, that you get to acknowledge that I need something else. And the beauty of it is, over and over again, is Jesus is always that option for us. So we're, we always um, play a song at the end of our service, not to keep you here a few more minutes, but for an opportunity for you to respond. Because I know that once, once the door is on the other side of you, it's real easy to have this like, yes. I mean, maybe there's sin that's been like, yes, I'm going to deal with the sin. Yes, I'm going to confess this. Yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'm going to do that. And you get outside and you're like, whew, I'm out. We'll deal with it next week. And then it's next week and next week. um, So I'm going to pray. Um, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit uh, is in this room. And you have access to it because of Jesus. And if you say you need help. And he'll help. Let's pray. Father, 
uh, I pray that you would awaken your children. That you would stir our affections and our heart towards you. Lord, I, I pray that anything on our end that we're putting our faithful, full assurance in that is not you. Lord, I pray that we would lay that down and we would trust you. Lord, you know what's going on in the hearts and minds of every single person in this room and you know what they need. And The beauty of the Holy Spirit is I don't even have to say the things that the Holy Spirit can do right now. So, Lord, I pray that you would do in us what only you can do. And if there's people in this room that have never fully put their trust in you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. And it wouldn't be a hidden thing. It wouldn't be like, oh, yes, yeah, I did that. But, Lord, there would be a celebration of going, I trust you. Lord, I also ask that you would help us learn to draw near what it means to pursue you, what it means to know you, what it means to be in a relationship with you, Lord, that you would cultivate that. Lord, I pray that you would awaken your word in us. And Lord, I pray for the brothers and sisters in this room that need other brothers and sisters to stir and encourage and to sow seeds of faith and love move us to good works. Lord, I pray that you would build relationships that will change our lives. Lord, we want to be changed so that you have access to do in us what you can only do through us in this city. Lord, let us surrender fully to you. The once and for all sacrifice perfect and holy gift that you gave us in your son. Let us trust in his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.